shall we? Our Father, we thank you we can sing those words this morning. Here in the power of Christ I stand. And Lord, we pray that that will be our experience as well as our song. We pray that as we open your word now, the power of the Holy Spirit would come upon us, Lord. That we may see the truth of your word and that he may apply it to our hearts and help us to to follow the Lord Jesus and the things he commands. We seek the Lord now. Give your blessing, Lord. Of ourselves we can do and produce nothing. We just look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me, please, back to that passage in Hebrews chapter 12 that we had for our children's talk. Hebrews chapter 12, only we're going to start a little bit earlier in verse 25. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 25. And again, here the author, who I I think is probably Paul, says, See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Please keep your Bibles open there. What if you know uh, about Zhang Heng? Zhang Heng lived about 120 years after the Lord Jesus Christ. He was actually born in, I think, AD 78, something like that, uh, and lived right up to uh, uh, the, the later first century. And second century, of course, this way. And uh, he was a Chinese clever clogs. That's the best way to say it. He was an astronomer. He was a mathematician. He was a poet, and he was a statesman. But what he's most famously remembered for is this. You say, John, what on earth is that? Is that just some sort of vase that he kept his flowers in? The answer to that is no. This is the first seismometer for registering earthquakes. And as early as those days were, people were concerned with being able to register when there were tremors in the earth. And the way this thing worked was that it had a a swinging pendulum inside that would move and register the movement in the earth. And there were eight uh, dragons off the side of it that had, they were like cylindrical, and they had inside like a little ball. And you would put this out in the direction of the points of the compass and uh, the midpoints as well. And you would have uh, a warning when an earthquake, a tremor was felt. And what would happen was the uh, dragon would spew out one of the balls in the direction that the earthquake had come from and it would land in the mouth of one of the frogs. 
And uh, this was the uh, first seismometer, as I said. And there's a, an amazing story about how it, when he brought it to the emperor, uh, he, he, the emperor was very sceptical about it and the people of the court were very sceptical. But Zhang Heng said, listen, if there's an earthquake, we will know about it and we will be able to send help to those people uh, in our kingdom. Well, as it happened, in the time that he was there putting this on before the emperor, there was a tremor. And the frog caught the, the ball that spewed out the mouth of the, of the dragon. And it happened there in the court. And everybody was like quite amazed. Now, nothing happened after that. But a few days later, a rider came into the, ho- into the court saying, Your Majesty, there's been a terrible earthquake over in the east. And it had registered so efficiently that which was so many hundreds of miles away. What an incredible achievement to make something like that. But you know, man has always wanted warning of earthquakes and earth-shaking events. But some things that are earth-shaking don't get registered on a seismometer, do they? What do I mean? Massive world-changing events which are not earthquakes. Obviously, earthquakes would do. But there are massive, life-changing, world-shaking events which don't register on an earthquake. Say 9-11, for instance. When those planes slammed into the Twin Towers and the other buildings like the Pentagon uh, and so on, that shook the world. It shook the financial system. It shook the tourism and the travel industry. Uh, it shook everybody's confidence in flight and uh, in, in the goodness of humanity, as somebody said. It was a world-shaking event. These things can happen, and uh, they are things that are very real. As Kerry reminded us earlier on today, we're going to have a, a warning on our phones at three o'clock, a, a test warning, so that they can facilitate a warning to the, the nation in the event of a national emergency. This is something that has been done in uh, America and in other places as well. Well, when we go to Truth For Youth, one of the speakers we love to hear is this guy, Jay Seagert. He's a, an American who's a creation speaker. And he told us one time when he came uh, to speak at Truth For Youth, the time when he and his wife were on holiday in Hawaii. It was a busman's holiday. He'd gone out there to preach and he said, let's go on holiday at the same time. And he was out there ministering, hoping to pay for the holiday, I think, as they were, as they were touring around. And uh, while they were there, on their phones, they had a message come up. And it said, emergency alert, ballistic missile threat incoming to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. And he said, at that moment, everybody's phones went off at once. It was an eerie effect. And he said, and then we just all looked at it. This is not a drill. A nuclear missile is coming towards us. He said, it shook everybody. And we just immediately phoned our families, left messages on answer phones, telling them we love them, we'll see them in heaven. What an experience. Now, Thankfully, as you know, that never actually happened because it was a fault in the system that sent out that warning. But it gave Jay the effect, as he said at Truth for Youth, of re-evaluating life. 
when there's something, a massive world-shaking event like that about to happen, it's about to engulf you as well, what difference would that make in your life? Well, here in the book of Hebrews, the writer who I said I think is Paul was writing to some Jewish Christians and he was warning them of a world-shaking event as far as Judaism was concerned, which was going to happen in their day. It was written at about AD 68 and we're drawing near to the prophetic warning coming true, which the Lord Jesus gave of Jerusalem being surrounded by the Romans, which it was by Titus and his army and then destroyed and that would actually also fulfill the prophecy of the Lord Jesus for the destruction of the second temple as well the second temple which was the heart of the Jewish faith and this was what they knew it was going to come because they believed the prophecies of the Lord Jesus Christ but it hadn't come yet and this world-shaking event was on its way and it was it was going to impact the Jewish Christians who were in Jerusalem And so he was warning them not to go back to Judaism as they'd been tempted to do so because if they went back to Judaism and went back to the temple worship and and their gatherings in Jerusalem, they would be caught in this world-shaking event. And he was warning them not to do it. And this great judgment did happen, as we know, in AD 70, two years later. And it was the most horrific judgment and it shook the world. Uh, some people believe that when uh, the uh, Vesuvius erupted, that was God's judgment on the Romans for extreme punishment on the Jews for their rebellion against it. But that aside, this was an earth-shaking event that they were being warned about. But this wasn't the last one, because in verse 26, uh, the author applies this prophecy to this situation and the future he says at that time his voice shook the earth that's God's voice shook the earth now what is he talking about at that time he's been talking about Mount Sinai Mount Sinai is where the children of Israel came to uh, into the Sinai desert after Moses had gone and rescued them by the power of God from Egypt and where he saw the burning bush he led them back to that burning bush uh, back to not to the bush but to the mountain and God himself came down on that mountain in his presence in a thick cloud and a loud voice and his presence came down and the ground shook in his presence. We can read about that in the book of Exodus chapter 19. Well, he says here, at that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. That's a quotation taken from the book of Haggai, chapter 2, verse 6. And uh, it definitely applies to the destruction of the temple, which was going to be a destructive event. But it was bigger than that as well. And it accompanies all the judgments of God that are future. John Wesley, in his study Bible, put it like this. He said, these words may refer in a lower sense to the dissolution of the Jewish state. But in their full sense they undoubtedly look much further even to the end of all things. The universal shaking began at the first coming of Christ. It will be consummated at his second coming. 
And before the Lord comes, there are going to be world-shaking events, uh, as we read in the book of Revelation. And the ultimate end of that will be the second coming of Christ himself. So we need to take on board this message. God says, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens as well. It won't just be something on earth. It'll be in all of creation. And God says there's world-shaking events. God's going to shake it all one day. Now, in light of that revelation, how should we live? Well, this passage teaches us we should respond to God's word. We should recognize God's lesson. And we should respect God's character. Those are the three things that this passage teaches us in light of what is prophesied. And I'd like us to have a look at this uh, this morning. First of all, we should respond to God's word. In verse 25 and especially, but verse 25 and 26. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth. How much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? You know, in the year 1348, the Black Death came to this country. And in the August of that year, the the rats had spread the, the bubonic plague throughout the country. And it was sweeping fast across the country. They reckon as many as a third of the population were killed and in fact it got to the stage that there were not enough people living to bury the dead think about that it was a terrible thing one person who was deeply affected by that was John Wycliffe if you don't know who John Wycliffe was he was the man who translated the bible first of all into english from the vulgate the latin into the english and when he as a young man uh, was uh, was seeing death All around him like this. It shook him to the core. And according to one biographer. Wycliffe went to his bedroom. And he spent days praying to God. And repenting of his sin. And calling out to the Lord. To save him. And bring him into a true and full experience of salvation. He wanted to know he was saved. And many people believe this was Wycliffe's great conversion moment. But as a result of that as well, he knew others needed the light of scripture that he had. And he knew they couldn't get it from the Bible in Latin. It was a foreign language to them. They had no idea of the gospel. So he saw in that moment, his life's mission was to translate the Bible into the language of the common people, which he did. That was his response to the world-shaking event of the Black Plague. He knew that he had to respond to God's word and share that word with others. Take a contrast by that to a television presenter by the name of Anthea Turner, who many of you will remember. She was on many programs, including uh, Top of the Pops, Blue Peter and things like this. Her favorite person, her person who she modeled herself on, according to her book, Fools Rush In, was Princess Diana. When Princess Diana died in that car crash. Do you remember the impact, those of you who are old enough, do you remember the impact it had on our nation? People were shocked. I remember preaching uh, that morning and people were coming to church in tears 
They were so distressed at what had been announced on the news. And then there were those amazing uh, like gatherings in those big parks in London as people mourned for Lady Diana. It, it made a, a massive impact on our nation. But how did that affect Anthea Turner? She said it was that day and the loss of that woman that finally made me reassess my own life. It made me realise that I wasn't immortal either. And she said I had to take stock, change my perspective and seize the day. Which in her mind meant I ought to leave my husband and have an affair with the man I really love. Because life is short. I need to get out there and enjoy it. Can you see a contrast there? What a contrast to a world-shaking event. One man is moved to pray and respond to the gospel and the call of the gospel going out. Another says, I've got to embrace sin as much as I can. Now, which is the right one? Well, if if you're true to the Bible, you'll know it's the the response to God's word. And that's what this author here is saying in verse 25. In light of the world-shaking event of the judgment on Jerusalem that was coming, he says, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Now, who's the one who's speaking? It's God who's speaking. And it's God who's speaking through the gospel, through the message of the Bible. You see, every time the Bible is opened and preached faithfully, and I want to underline that word faithfully, God's voice is heard. He's speaking to people and his call goes out. His general call goes out to all men and his effectual call we trust in the hearts of those he's drawing to himself. And he says, as you hear God speaking, don't refuse him who speaks. Now, the Bible commentators agree that this is a play on what happened at Mount Sinai. If you go back to verse 19... Paul says, uh, talking about there about the coming to Mount Sinai to a trumpet blast or to such a, a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. And Mount Sinai, when they heard God speak, they said, no more. We don't want to hear any more. It's too much. It's too frightening for us. Now, in, the, in that way, God said that was a good thing at Mount Sinai. But what he's doing here is he's saying, be careful you don't do the same thing with the gospel. And so we don't want to hear what God says to us. That's exactly what so many people do today, isn't it? When the message of salvation goes out, they say, we're not interested. We don't want to know. But friends, you and I need to know. And we need to see to it. And underline those words, see to it. He's saying, be conscious of this. Be aware of the danger of it happening. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Now, what is God's warning to us today? It's a warning of salvation it's a warning of judgment that he came to save us from came across this interesting story in the newspaper in 2017 of uh, uh, a swiss couple who were visiting cornwall and they didn't know the coastline i guess from switzerland you haven't got any coastline so you're not used to being by the sea and they were down by the coast on the edge of the coast and while they were there the tide came in quickly up around them and they found themselves stranded with pounding waves uh, coming up against them Thankfully, someone up on the cliff edge saw them down there on the rocks, stranded, and they sent for the air sea rescue, the Coast Guard. And the Coast Guard had to come out. They couldn't get a boat near enough because of the rocks and the, the ferocity of the waves. So they sent a helicopter out, and a man on a winch came down, and he rescued them, and he lifted them up and took them to safety. 
You know, friends, that's like what God did. He saw us in our distress, in our sin, all our wickedness of heart. And he said, those people are going to hell. And so he came and his son came down to earth to be our savior, our rescuer. And the way he came to rescue us was to take the judgment for sin for us so that we don't have to face it. There's a Bible word that we don't use very much, but we should do. It's the word propitiation. That big word means to take the force of God's judgment for us. If you want it in a picture form, it means this. That when the Lord Jesus died on the cross, he was shielding us from the judgment of God. Remember we just sung those words in that hymn, in Christ alone. The wrath of God was satisfied on Christ. He did that to shield us from the judgment we deserve. So if we respond to the gospel, we can be saved and forgiven and go to heaven. So in light of this, Paul says, when these world-shaking events are happening or they're going to happen, he said, you make sure that you don't refuse him who speaks. If you've not yet come to the Lord, come to him. Come to him. The biggest world-shaking event of all will be the day of judgment and you will need to be found in Christ. You may say, well, it'll be all right if I don't. No, it won't be. Look at verse 25. It goes on and says, if they did not escape, meaning the people in the Old Testament, when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? And there's a contrast here, the the lesser to the greater. Uh, Moses was the one who warned them on earth. And the one who warned them from heaven was the Lord Jesus Christ who came down and gave the gospel message. He says, don't don't reject the gospel, but respond to it. And I'm wondering whether today there's somebody in the sound of my voice here in this room or listening to us online or at home on Zoom. And you've heard the gospel, but you've never responded to it. Let me tell you, today is the day of salvation. You need to come to the Lord. You need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in his saving work for you that you may be forgiven. It's vital you do it now. God is speaking to your heart as the gospel goes out. It's not because I'm anybody, but because it's his word. He is saying, see to it that you don't refuse him who speaks. Ask the Lord to forgive you and save you. There's no coincidences with God that you're hearing this now. A beautiful story that uh, uh, I read in a book just recently about uh, back in in the Victorian days, uh, there was a, a young lady and her daughter and they were on a train. And this young lady had given her daughter her first Bible. And this little girl was so thrilled to have her first Bible. And she was carrying it around everywhere. And in those days, you know, possessions cost so much more. And it was such a big deal. They went on a train. The train was very crowded. But on the seats next to them were some soldiers. And those soldiers were real foul-mouthed lads. And they were talking dirty. They were swearing and they were filthy. And the mother was distressed because her little girl was here. She didn't want them to hear, her to hear all that. And uh, uh, she was looking around. There was nowhere else for them to go in the carriage. And the little girl looked at her mummy and said, Mummy, those men need the gospel. <laughs> Bless her little heart. And do you know what she did? She went, picked up her little Bible and she went over to the boy who had the biggest, loudest, filthiest mouth. And she just laid it on his lap. 
And she said, this is for you. Do you know, all those lads, all those squaddies, they all went quiet. They all went quiet. And that boy, he whispered in her ear, he said, you are the answer to my mother's prayers. And he became a Christian. God was speaking to his heart. God is speaking to your heart today. If you've not yet turned to Christ, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. Put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Recognize his voice and respond to it. Secondly, recognize God's lesson because in verse, uh, verse 27 and and 28, there is a lesson here. After he's given the, the prophecy again in verse 26 that we considered in the introduction, verse 27 says the words once more, where God says once more are shaped not only the earth but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken let us be thankful now God has a lesson for us in these world shaking events and apart from calling us to respond to the gospel he's calling us to recognize as well the the difference between what is lasting and what is temporal and there are some things that can be shaken as he says here the created things I think in the first sense he had in mind the temple in Jerusalem that was made by Solomon uh, and then rebuilt by Ezra and then modified by Herod and those things were created things by men and those things could be shaken and they would not last forever and that is the truth with everything you and I have as well Everything we have can be shaken. There's nothing that you and I hold in our hands that cannot be taken away from us by a world-shaking event, by God's judgment or by death. What we need is to lay hold of the things that cannot be shaken and that may remain. And the thing that cannot be shaken, as he says in verse 28, is God's kingdom, which we receive. Uh, when we come to Christ, we become a part of his spiritual kingdom in anticipation of his second coming, his literal kingdom on the earth. And we recognize the lesson in world-shaking events that God wants us to get, that the things of this world are temporal. You know, all those people who uh, invested in holiday homes on the coast of Southeast Asia, when that tsunami happened, they lost it all. Others lost more than their homes. They lost their livelihoods. They lost their loved ones. There's only one thing in this life that cannot be shaken and taken from you. And that's a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. This came home to a very famous Christian. Those of us who are Christians will know the name Frances Ridley Havergal. She was one of our great hymn writers. and I love her hymns. I've got a book of them uh, just for reading. And in 1874, uh, Havergal had signed up to an American publisher. And this was helping give her an income. She wrote not only uh, hymns, she wrote poetry as well. And it was giving her the financial support that she needed. And in 1874, a huge financial stock market crash in America meant that the company that had bought the rights to her hymns went bankrupt 
and she lost all her income. Now, praise God, before this, she had been learning this very lesson that we're talking about. That the things on this earth can be taken away from us. So we need to put our trust and hope in the things of God, which cannot be taken away. She said, two months ago, this would have been a real trial to me. For I had built a good deal on my American prospects now. Now, though, thy will be done is not a sigh, but a song. I have a fear, have not a fear or a doubt or a care or a shadow upon the sunshine of my heart. Why? Because the things that she was trusting in and was grateful for, most of all, were untouched. That's a good lesson for us, isn't it? The old children's chorus says, build on the rock, the rock that ever stands. Oh, build on the rock, not upon the sands. You need not fear the storm or the earthquake shock. You're safe forevermore if you're built on the rock. (laughs) You know, if you're investing everything you've got in this world, they're all like somebody who's painting the decks of the Titanic. It may look nice for a season, but it's soon going to pass. What we need is to invest in the next world and recognize God's lesson. Now, that doesn't mean Christians can't enjoy the things of this world. And uh, I would argue that if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, God tells us as Christians to enjoy the good things of life in this world that he's, uh, he's given us. And I underline the word good, the good things of life. But it means we're not living for those things. Warren Wiersbe puts it like this. You can, you can have the things that money can buy as long as you've got the things money can't buy. And the thing money can't buy is salvation. And a relationship with God. So recognize the lesson that these things give. And when world shaking events happen around us. It may be uh, in, in the things of the nation. In the world. Or even just in our own friends lives. Then recognize the importance of putting our thing. Our life into that which is eternal. Rather than that which is temporal. The third and final thing that we should do in response to world-shaking events is to respect God's character. And this is the lesson at the end of the passage which we were trying to teach children today. Verse 28, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Our final response should be to recognize and respect the greatness of God. Be thankful for his goodness to us and worship him acceptably and reverently because he is a consuming fire. If uh, you had been in uh, Arizona in the desert at a place called Umar, you would have seen in 2009 one of the biggest firewalls that the American army has ever made. It was a wall of fire stretching along the desert, 15 story high and two miles long, set off by uh, explosives. I'm sure the taxpayers were thrilled to think about their money being used for that. But what a fire. And yet that is nothing compared to the fire of God and the 
character of our God as a consuming fire, as we've been looking at here. And that's actually a quotation uh, in verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. It comes from the Old Testament. There's a number of different places where it's mentioned. In Exodus 24, verse 17, uh, the children of Israel saw God on Mount Sinai, and his appearance was like a consuming fire. Deuteronomy 4, verse 4, God said he was like a consuming fire in terms of his jealousy for the children of Israel and his passionate commitment to them. In Deuteronomy 9 verse 3, uh, it says that he's like a consuming fire to the enemies of the people of God. And that's encouragement to us. In Isaiah 30 verse 27, the phrase is used of God being a consuming fire in terms of the judgment of God and how he will consume in judgment. And Isaiah 33, verses 14 to 16, the phrase is used as a description of God's purity and character. You know, fire purifies things, and God is totally pure and holy. Therefore, how should we respect God? We should worship him with reverence and awe. That's the way to acceptably come to God. The great Christian writer A.W. Pink in his book The Attributes of God said this, we cannot serve him acceptably unless there is due reverence. And he picks up on those two words. And I would say amen to that. We can't serve God acceptably unless we have reverence and respect for who he is. That's a message that needs to be underlined today. Even in the church, we seem to have lost the reverence of God, haven't we? And God is our pal, our friend only. We don't think of him as our Lord and our God. But we should do. We should worship him acceptably with reverence and awe, that respect of who he is. And if you're not a Christian, that's where you need to begin. Because it is with God you have to do. And realize who he is you have to deal with. Don't come thinking he's some big father Christmas who's just going to let boys be boys and girls be girls and it doesn't really matter how you live, he's going to give you a present anyway. He's not like that. He's a good God, but he's a holy God and he hates sin and therefore we need to come humbly to him and seek him for grace and mercy and salvation. And interestingly enough, that word thankful in the NIV in verse 28 is also translated grace in other translations. And uh, we come to him in grace. Grace means God's undeserved kindness. And he's offering that to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. His mercy and grace if we will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So dear friends, these world-shaking things are going to happen one day. And they will happen in your life as well as mine. We don't like to think about them. We don't like disturbance. But it's coming. As surely as this afternoon, your phone will ring at three o'clock. May your heart ring now. And know God is speaking to you. Don't turn your back on him. Instead, seek him and be saved.